we kind of know where we're going, right? At the end of the day, we know where the puck is leading to. Here, at least we know what the playbooks are. We may have to sort of alter a few of the plays based on the sort of the technology of the day. But at the end of the day, we know where we're going to get to. So it's like, how do you play into that and lean into to what we know and help accelerate that along? You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Michael Malone. And today I'm very excited to speak with Kathy Newman, CMO of Rent, on mastering marketing strategies for success in changing landscapes. Kathy, I'm very excited to talk to you this morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Excited to be here. Awesome. So we've got a number of topics that uh, I think our audience will be very interested in that we're going to go through the, this morning. I think we'll, maybe just to give our audience some context around you, with you've got a very extensive background in retail marketing. Maybe you can share with us some insights about how your experience in this field have shaped your current role as CMO at Rent. For, yeah, absolutely. I think when I look back across my career and think about how I ended up where I am, it was not maybe the most traditional journey. But I really had a passion for understanding consumers, understanding consumer motivations, and marrying that with technology and technology trends and how to solve problems. And so as I navigated my retail career across a handful of different brands and understanding the unique needs of those consumer sets, it just sort of built upon itself. And then transitioning out of retail with my most recent role and my, quite frankly, only role outside of retail and far more years than I would want to admit, is been able to apply those same principles of understanding the situation, understanding the consumer, understanding the consumer motivation, identifying that friction, and putting solves in place to address them. I've really been lucky to anchor my career around that consumer understanding, and it is transferable really to, to any role in my mind. No, that's awesome. So you're looking at the consumer really from a consumer lens and their interest and their perspective. So what are some of the considerations to keep in, in mind when you're applying these principles in different or new industry contexts? I think one of the, the, one of the challenges with being in retail is everybody's experienced retail, right? It's the one industry I think everybody's experienced, right? There's a handful of them. And it's really important to get outside of the me search, what I call it, right? I can't think about it from my perspective because I'm not necessarily always been my target consumer. A lot of times I was, but it was really important to think about it in the lens of my true consumer. And to be able to do that, you have to know who your consumer is. And that takes research and understanding. A lot of it can be gleaned from the data that you already have. Some of it you got to get out there and talk to the consumer and ask them the questions you think you already know the answers to. Because most of the time, those are the ones that you sort of overlaid your own perceptions on and you're solving for your own problems and not the consumer's problems. And when I think about the transition to rent, which we're a two-sided marketplace, I've got a B2C side, my marketing team, and I've got a B2B. And we've got two consumers, in essence, that we're trying to solve for. And sometimes those are very similar in what they need, and sometimes they're different. And we've got to balance those two out, but really keeping that true consumer in mind rather than what my marketing leader might think or what we might feel we would do. It's really about the consumer, not us. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, that's a very interesting dynamic that you would because, and then we think about your customer, the B2C and the B2B realm, 
are very different and very unique. But when I talk to many marketing leaders, they have, they've talked about there's been a really significant shift in understanding their customer sort of pre-COVID, post-COVID, and how a lot of the interactions have gotten much more digital. So putting you on the spot here, but just interesting your perspective, have you seen much of a difference? Is it more challenging or is it just different in terms of both understanding the consumer and the customer and how you interact with them sort of pre-COVID and post-COVID? I think probably what I think about the COVID impact on digital and really mobile first is it's an acceleration. If you look at certain industries that may have been more leaders in this space, they were already there. I think what COVID did is accelerate everybody else catching up, right? At the time of COVID, I was working at Chewy, the pet people, right? The online pet store. And we saw, thank you. We saw lots of customers join us during that time because they couldn't go to the grocery store to get their pets food. Everybody was adopting a a coworker at home for their home office, right? And so there was a need to still get all this stuff without going to a physical being. And that accelerated some of that adoption, right? It accelerated people figuring out how not only could they get an Uber really quickly via an app, but they could do all sorts of things, grocery deliver, food deliveries, all sorts of things accelerated. And it's really heightened the awareness of the expectation of a consumer of, I should be able to do everything from the palm of my hand via my phone. And so if you're not thinking about how you can deliver an experience in that fashion, you really missed the boat in terms of sort of what's accelerated in the last three years and what's still to come in the next three. Yeah, no, absolutely, Kathy. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so we're going to transition a little bit. I know you've been, I think, very successful, it sounds like, in not only your core tenants, but in terms of building teams around you and hiring good people. And I know you have a very interesting philosophy I think you use the, the words where you focus on hiring for attitude and aptitude, which I love. And I recall you mentioned you look for people with maybe a natural curiosity. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about things that you look for when you're evaluating candidates and the type of people that you want to surround yourself with based on these criteria. Absolutely. I think it's one of those things you learn over time, right? There's expertise definitely needed in certain roles. But when you look back at how marketing has changed over the last five, 10 years, you can only guess what's going to change in the next five or 10 years, right? And so if you're hiring every single one of your roles to be the subject matter expert of the technology of today, that doesn't necessarily have that aptitude for change or that curiosity about what's around the corner, you're going to find yourself flat-footed. So I've always tried to balance my hires and looking for people that have that passion and that natural curiosity and that that sort of inability maybe to shut off the thinking about how all of this plays together, right? And I'm not saying I want somebody that works 24-7, but their mind is always thinking like a marketer, right? And they can see something in a completely different industry and be able to pull it back and distill the things that are relevant for the job they're working on today and have that curiosity of putting those puzzle pieces together and not being afraid to try something new. I, I, I love that perspective. And I heard you use the phrase at one point, and I think it's applicable here, progress over precision, right? And which I think is a little bit, having that natural curiosity, you said not being afraid to fail and try new things, right? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. I say it all the time. Luckily, we're not curing cancer. We're not putting a man on the moon. We're depending on where I worked at the time. We're selling baby clothes. We're selling dog food. At this point, we're trying to help people find apartments and places to live. So all very important, but nothing is going to go wrong if we take a misstep. And the only way you're going to grow is if you stretch. You can't stretch standing still. So I applaud people on my team that try new things. And we celebrate the failures by learning what we can out of those interactions and quickly course correcting. But if you're not moving, you're not growing in today's environment for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine my understanding is you recently went through a a rebranding exercise at Rent and maybe you can provide, and I'm sure you needed that, that concept of not worrying about precision, but let's make some progress and not worrying about failure. So maybe provide some insights into some of the changes that you implemented during that rebranding exercise and what were some of the desired outcomes that you were trying to achieve? Absolutely. So one of the first tasks I had when I joined Rent was to relaunch the brand, right? And what started out as a brand relaunch really came it really grew into a whole company relaunch because we were really trying to reset our company on its new direction, clearly signal to the market we've changed. So yes, we're a 50-year-old company, but we're doing everything completely different from the ground up as terms of our product offerings, how we manage things on the back end, how we've set up our delivery mechanisms, how we engage with the consumers. Everything was changing. And so To do that, we went in and did a complete rebrand head to toe, new look and feel, new product architecture, new product naming convention, and really changed the DNA of the culture and really invigorated the team to get excited about where we were going. And that's where it really became more of a rebrand and a company relaunch is when we were able to engage like all aspects of the company from the IT team, to the product team, to the sales team, to the HR team, the finance team, everybody was getting involved and getting gaining that understanding of to why we needed to change and what was in it for them and really became that sort of momentum building atalyst to get us where we are today. And it was really, it turned into a really proud moment for the organization in total rather than just some new marketing collateral in a tagline which was amazing to see come together so quickly. I think we did it in about 100 days. So a lot of brute force, a lot of precision over progress for sure. There were things we knew we had to get done. Maybe we weren't happy with where they were, but we had to keep going. We've since come back and course corrected and finessed things, but it was so important to make that progress and make that statement. And we are constrained by some industry timelines that we had to hit. So we, we had to force ourselves to make those tough choices and keep things moving and super proud of what the team was able to accomplish in such a short window. Yeah. I mean, that that's really impressive. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said rebranding is just not, it's not just a marketing initiative, right? It's not just creating new content. It really, to be successful, to really have that sort of organizational shift, you do need to get buy-in from everyone in the organization, regardless of those roles. I'm curious, are there, were there any specific tactics or things you did to really get buy-in and help, you know, create a transformation, a cultural transformation within the organization? 
Yeah, I think the secret to that always is bringing your partners along with you. And that really means getting into the why behind the change, right? And sometimes the whys can be bigger than others. For our instance in rent, it was pretty significant. We were kind of coming back out of a bankruptcy situation. We'd been purchased by Redfin, and this was sort of our moment to make our splash back in the industry at one of the industry's biggest events. So really getting the team rallied behind why we were doing it and what it will mean for the organization was critical, right? I joined in and heard from lots of folks on the teams of, we've done this before, we've rebranded, we've been 14 names of the course power many years, right? It's like, you can match a tagline with a CMO that was here at the time. And so to really get the teams excited about what we were trying to do as a brand and a culture and an organization was so critical for long-term success. I, I truly believe it takes people a lot of times to understand the why. You can't tell them once. You've got to tell them seven, ten times, and you've got to tell them in different ways. So it means something to them in their role. Not everybody has the same role, so everybody needs to hear it a different way. And it's really having the tenacity to keep that drumbeat going and making sure you're bringing everybody along that's going to really ensure success at launch, but then beyond as well, right? So it's not another tagline that gets hung up in six months, but it's something that we keep building on as we continue to grow our company. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's awesome. Yeah, I think that that really is the key is getting that buy-in. And I think when people and employees, regardless of the role, feel like they have a vested interest in the outcome and they're going to be participating in this change. And it's not just service that we've got a new focus. It, it does. You can feel that in your bones, in the culture and talking to your peers. So I'm curious about that. I've been through a couple of brand transformations before and you can feel it when it's happening and, and when it's sort of successful. But I'm wondering if, were there any kind of metrics or benchmarks? Like, how do you measure that this transformation is actually working or taking hold, whether it's internally with employees or externally with customers and constituents and so on and so forth? Absolutely. I absolutely think that's critical. You have to have the metrics you need, but there are really two separate metrics that you have to have in mind. What is your internal team and your company metrics? And then you've got your client or your consumer metrics on the other side of the spectrum here. When you think about it from an internal perspective and what's going on with your internal team base, it really is around engagement. And we look at that a couple of different ways. One is, Traditional engagement scores, right? Have we seen a shift in those scores? Are people proud to say they work for us? Are they referring more potential coworkers to the organization? I joke about it all the time. People ask for more swag, right? I want a new, I want a new hoodie. I want a new this. I'm like, they weren't doing that before, right? They're proud of where they work. They want to show it off. They want to have that sort of swag. If people aren't asking for a logoed product, if they're not happy with where they're working, for sure. On the other side of the spectrum, from a, a client standpoint and a consumer standpoint, we've got traditional metrics, traffic, conversion, et cetera, engagement on the site, but also just the feedback from clients, right? We've got more inbound sales coming, requests coming in, leads coming in than we have in years, right? That's a testament to the team and testament to the marketing that's out there and a testament to the disruption we've been able to do and sort of accelerate getting our name back out in front of clients again. It's really impressive to see in really a short window. 
Yeah, no, that, that's fantastic. And and always love to see that when it works. A couple final thoughts. You talked about disruption, right? There's disruption at the macro level, right? There's economic disruption and, and chaos. Yes, there uh, is. <laughs> there's, we thought there's technological disruption in advance. I started in the MarTech space when Scott Breaker first releases Scott Breaker MarTech landscape, and there was 300 marketing technology companies, and now there's almost 15,000. And I know your industry typically is known for sort of lagging behind in terms of digital evolution automation. How do you kind of, with all this sort of chaos, whether it's economic or market or technology, how do you kind of navigate that on a day-to-day basis or from just a tactical perspective? Yeah, I think it's a great question. It definitely is chaos right now on lots of spectrums, right? But I think I go, I'll go back to what we talked about earlier. You've got to have the, the attitude and the curiosity to deal with some of that. And so that, again, it really is important to, to have that as a skill set within your team that can adapt to things as they're rapidly changing. One of which is just staying curious and understanding change is going to happen. You can't fight it, right? You can find it, but you're going to lose. The second part of this is it's interesting, even though the players may change and the technology may change, we kind of know where we're going, right? At the end of the day, we know where the puck is leading to. I've seen this digital evolution in a couple of different scenarios at a couple of different times. At the end of the day, we generally know the direction we're moving, which makes it sort of fun to sort of be able to shape the story as we're getting there. Whereas the first few times we were going through this, I mean, I remember back in the day years ago, working um, on email and display marketing when it was brand new. Nobody knew what you were doing, right? Here, at least we know what the playbooks are. We may have to sort of alter a few of the plays based on the sort of the technology of the day or sort of where we are in that evolution. But at the end of the day, we know where we're going to get to. So it's like, how do you play into that and sort of lean into to what we know and help accelerate that along? Uh, I think that's a Great answer. Kathy, I love. I, I have a couple snippets that I'm going to take with me. I love progress over precision. I love attitude and aptitude. And I think those are two certainly central themes to a lot of what you've been talking about today. I appreciate the insights. We've got a couple of sort of fun wrap-up questions for you. Everyone's has different people that they read or newsletters and followers. And so we like to kind of crowdsource different people that you might be interested in. So can you talk to us maybe about a book or website or someone that you would recommend our listeners should follow or look into? Yeah, I'll, I'll share with you a book I just finished reading. And it's what I've been, been meaning to read for, for a handful of years, if I'm honest, right? And that is Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. So it's the early story of Nike. So it goes right along with the conversation we've had today, right? If you want to read a story of somebody who faced a lot of challenges starting his company, which has now become a just a behemoth in the space, and looking at the tenacity and the curiosity and the willingness to find solutions, it's a great read. It kind of goes back to my retail roots too, so I enjoy it from that perspective. But it, it really was a, a super quick read, a great story, and really gives you some examples of how you can sort of fight through things and find solutions. And we all know how that story ends. It kind of has a great ending. Really good read. I, I guarantee natural curiosity, progress over precision were probably some of the themes that helped them become super successful. So I'm going to add that to my list. I love reading stories like that. 
And then final sort of thought or question is any inspirational people in the B2B space or marketing space in general that you might recommend we bring to the show or follow or listen to as well? A couple, right? I can't, there's a couple that are close to me. One, Matt Doors. He works on my team. He is a phenomenal marketing genius from a B2B side. I've been able to leverage him to help me scale on B2B. Again, I was coming from a retail consumer side. Some of the B2B stuff was very new to me. He's been a tremendous partner. He's had great experience across some brands, Google, Etsy, and just a really sharp marketing mind. Another person, Susan Sacitello. I worked for her early on. She has been through a couple of industries as well, but she's sort of ignited my passion on really understanding the consumer. And I just think, think she's a tremendous marketing mind and a great resource to have. And I think anybody would really enjoy a, a chance to get to know her a little bit better as well. Awesome. So Matt Doors and Susan Sacitello. Kathy, thank you so much for your time and your insights and perspectives. If some of our listeners would like to reach out and connect with you, what would be the best method to do so? Probably LinkedIn, Kathy Newman, K-A-T-H-Y-N-E-U-M-A-N. And I'm happy to connect and share some stories. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kathy. I appreciate it. Thanks. Have a good one. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 